IBEC, the voice of Irish business. Welcome to IBEC Voices, the podcast series about the people and the priorities behind Irish business and the global climate that shapes it. And this podcast series is an original podcast series brought to you by IBEC, the voice of Irish business. I'm Patrick Hawhey, and on this episode, we meet Colin Hunt, CEO of AIB. If we are genuinely serious about minimising future risks, we need to put sustainability at the core of our missions as business. We can do it in a way that is good for the planet and good for business. And I don't think there is any contradiction between those two imperatives. And we will also hear from Fergal O'Brien and Ger Brady of IBEC. We hear from members across the country about what concerns them and then distill it into this budget submission. And what we really need is members to go back out and to explain to politicians locally what matters for them from this budget submission, why it matters, how it affects them and how it can help their local area. And that would, that would be really, really impactful. But before we get to our guest, Siobhan Masterson of IBEC, as ever, joins me. Hiya, Siobhan. How are you doing this week? Hi, Patrick. I'm great. Thanks. And yourself? I'm good. And you have been very busy because you've been speaking to Colin Hunt and Fergal O'Brien and Ger Brady for this very special episode, um, which deals with IBEC's budget submission for this year. That's correct. And it is an annual event in IBEC where we uh, uh, launch our budget submission. But this year is a little bit different in that normally we would have a much longer run up to budget day. So we'd launch our submission around July and then we'd have kind of an intense couple of months lobbying on the various priorities uh, running up to budget day in October. But because of the, um, I suppose, the uncertainty, we've held off launching our submission until much later. So we now have quite a condensed period uh, to lobby on the various priorities that we've set out. So um, for this podcast, what we really wanted to try and do was not just to bring our asks to life, but also to give our listeners a little bit of a sense of why it is so different this year in terms of the economic circumstances. So not just COVID, but lots of other dynamics, including the dynamic within the EU at the moment. Um, so I talked to Fergal O'Brien and Ger Brady about that. And then we also go into the detail of why, you know, the kind of, I suppose, the winners and losers in within the economy because of COVID and the dichotomy that's emerging in terms of the recovery. Uh, we discuss issues like how we can make that transition from government supports into kind of government rec- recovery mechanisms for companies. And then we get into the nitty gritty, particularly with Ger Brady, where we discuss the individual elements of what we're looking for in our campaign, from sustainability measures to through to labour market measures. And obviously, we deal with the enormity of Brexit and the, the political volatility that's happening across the water. Um, Colin Hunt is an important player in all of this because Colin chairs IBEC's Economic and Taxation Committee. And so he leads a cross-industry group of representatives who essentially inform us on what those priorities should be that we lobby government on. Um, And that's why Colin has a role in in this campaign, and I was delighted to interview him as well, particularly looking at his own business and being an employer of an enormous workforce. 
Okay, well, look, that's all coming up in a moment. But first, let's get to Fergal O'Brien and Ger Brady. And of course, you've just mentioned there that it's not just not just because of COVID, but a number of different circumstances uh, mean that this year the budget and the context around it is very different. And that is where Fergal O'Brien kicks things off by giving us a little bit of context around this year's budget and why it is different. Yeah, not only different, but probably unique, I think, in fairness, as we face into budget 2021. Um, so again, you know, the, the recent history of the financial crisis is so fresh in our minds. Um, this time, we essentially, we don't have EU requirements. Our, our EU fiscal rules um, are all have all been relaxed. So we don't really have that kind of EU constraint that we would have had um, over recent years. And, and that's a significant development, uh, even over the last kind of four or five budgets in kind of more normal economic times. Um, you're absolutely right. We're in an economic crisis, um, but it's not going to be austerity. And it's very much, I suppose, reflective of the fact that the international prescription now is that governments everywhere are being called on and working in conjunction with central banks to do what's necessary to support their economies. Um, and when you look at what shape our economy is in right now, um, I think it is again going to be an absolute outlier in Europe. Uh, our GDP fall is going to be nowhere near as severe as what we're seeing in other countries. Uh, it looks like we're going to have this very accentuated uh, K-shaped phenomenon in the economy with some sectors on some of the very important sectors in the Irish economy uh, performing very, very strongly in our in our life sciences, in our technology and, and large parts of our food sector. And then other sectors, because the government uh, health guidelines and restrictions have been particularly severe in Ireland and that those sectors of the domestic economy, we've taken a very cautious approach here, that those sectors are actually significantly behind their comparators elsewhere in Europe. So it's an absolutely unique set of circumstances. It's an economic crisis for some sectors of the economy. It's an, it's an overall GDP measure of the economy not doing too badly uh, and doing relatively well in, in European terms. And essentially governments being called upon to, to support their economies in, in, in terms of measures for the budget. Um, so I suppose hence our prescription and our engagement with the system will be very much domestically focused this year because we have the support of Europe and we're calling on government to make sure that we don't face that cliff edge of stimulus and support for those really under pressure sectors, that we continue to give them um, the targeted measures, both for the COVID crisis, but also for the Brexit crisis that is now very quickly looming for the economy over the next number of months. So in light of those circumstances, what are the longer term impacts of a K-shaped recovery? Does it present competitive issues for our economy at the moment? It, it, it potentially does in terms of what the, the permanent impacts are going to be on our economy. So if you take the examples of, of air travel, for example, um, Ireland does look some distance behind other countries in terms of having clarity either on a, a testing regime to support um, air travel or the, the public health guidance that's there. Uh, that could have a real permanent impact on our connectivity. Uh, on the sustainability of, of future strategic routes and all of that is connected back into our wider competitiveness agenda um, our ability to win foreign inve foreign investments and crucially also for lots of those indigenous companies that are going to be on the on the brexit front line as well their their ability to do business internationally so these are long-term competitiveness impacts they're not just the kind of immediacy of the shock of the containment 
And, you know, we've spoken um, at Lent elsewhere in IBEC recently um, about how the constraints that we're putting on kind of return to office, return to city, return to town centre dynamic and how our office economy and those city centre economies are really struggling. Again, that will leave kind of permanent scarring on the economy uh, with potential competitiveness impacts, because if we're not, if we don't have attractive towns and cities to come live um, work in, then that will have a long-term impact in, in, in terms of the economic model. So there's big issues at stake and big issues that can be addressed through a combination of the sensible implementation of the new government framework in terms of the, the guidance and hopefully getting more of the economic voice into that in terms of the new structures that are placed, but also in terms of the support and the stimulus and the investment measures that we can now deliver uh, in Budget 2021. Yeah, and then maybe finally, just on that kind of environment, the stakeholders um, that business is trying to influence in this debate have also changed. So we have the same Minister for Finance that we had last year, uh, Mr. Donoghue, but we do have a new government, we have a coalition government, and we now have a Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform. So it does feel a little bit like the Howland Noonan days again. Um, but how does that work in terms of the agenda for, for business and that interaction? I think it will probably help us in terms of some of the focus that we want to bring on the investment, the infrastructure and the quality of life issues. Um, we have a very important piece of work coming up uh, over the coming months around the review of the National Development Plan, uh, around getting real traction in terms of implementation um, and delivery of some of the agendas, whether it's going to be our climate agenda, um, that investment agenda, the agenda for the regions. And ha having that split across the Department of Finance, I think, will be a positive for us. And I think hopefully it will help to make progress on some of the investment and expenditure sides, um, while Minister Dunhu will be very focused on the public finances, uh, the exchequer issues, uh, our international tax offering it will be good to get that kind of real laser focus on the implementation and the expenditure and investment priorities as well. So we actually see it from a from an engagement point of view. It's a big opportunity, hopefully, to move ahead now that government is moving beyond some of the recent dramas, really needs to get up and running and focused on implementation. And Budget 2021 is an important first step at that to be followed then by things like a new commission on tax and social welfare, the review of the national development plan. Time to get things done out there in the economy. I think that's what, that's what businesses are going to want to see over the next one. Yeah, and, and I guess that's, that's something to look forward to in the autumn. Ger uh, Brady, IBEC Chief Economist, thanks for joining us. Um, you've been drafting the IBEC submission and working with IBEC's Economic and Taxation Committee. And I, I guess if you were to try to encapsulate what our asks are in this campaign or what's the purpose of the campaign, could you maybe bring us through some of that? Yeah, so so as Fergal said, we've we've seen a very different, um, different dynamic in this downturn compared to what we saw in previous downturns. The government last year put 20 billion, rather than austerity, put 20 billion into the economy in social welfare measures and in income supports and supports for business. 
um, and, and various other supports to, to different sectors like sport and arts. Um, so if you think if you think about the difference, like it's very easy to measure it from that point of view. You see uh, you see austerity turning uh, in in one recession to twenty billion in government spending in another, and it's it's been absolutely the right thing to do. We're we're going to have a a big deficit this year, and that deficit um, is absolutely warranted and, and needed. Uh, what will happen, however, as we go into the early part of next year, some of those supports are going to start to disappear. Um, the dynamic is going to start to change where we come from living with COVID, and hopefully then we can start looking forward to recovering from COVID if if the public health and, and if, if, our, if our colleagues in the science community are able to produce a vaccine. Um, so really, the angle we're taking is to try and move that forward as those supports, that 20 billion of support is taken off the table in the early part, mostly of next year, for example, income supports gone by the end of March. Um, as those supports are taken off the table, we need a new set of supports that will basically reinvigorate the economy. Um, you will still support the sectors that are um, limited by, by social distancing measures. Uh, through various amounts of COVID supports and wage supports, but for other sectors, you're trying to get people to invest, get people back to work. You're starting to think about our competitiveness internationally again, and then you're dealing with all these long-term issues, which still exist, the demographic uh, drivers of things like uh, the, the carbon and low-carbon agenda, the quality of life agenda, the housing agenda, they're all still exist um, that existed before. And if you, if you remember back, uh, back in the day before uh, before the election this year, those were the big things that were on people's plates and they're still out there. So sure. really we're trying to deal with both those dynamics. Yeah, and, and presumably something like the sustainability agenda, whether you want to position that as, as the low carbon transition, is going to be to the fore in Budget Day, given given the, the coalition dynamics. And what do you think that's going to look like and how are we positioning our asks in that regard? Yeah, I, th I think there's more than just um, than just the obvious kind of supports for business, which we're looking for uh, significant support. You're going to see an increase in the carbon tax. That's that's kind of baked in um, in the program for government. So that's going to happen. And really, it's about how you support companies and households to start to decarbonize their own activity. So that's kind of jargonish, but. You're trying to get people to take up technology, to change the ways of working that they have and to move away from the kind of carbon intensive uh, ways of working so that they don't have to pay the carbon tax in the long term. So the best way to protect people from the increase in the carbon tax is you make sure that it's uh, that it's a signal that is consistent, that they know it's coming down the line, and then you give them options. And we're asking for government to, to do that. Um, there are also other things that can help. Obviously, COVID has probably brought forward a trend to, to remote working. There are supports the government can put in place that we've outlined in our budget submission. Um, and, and there are also uh, big challenges that aren't just about, I suppose, carbon and, and the climate, but are about sustainability more broadly, like, you know, competitiveness, the sustainability depends uh, significantly on housing. Um, and then the so sustainability of our social model um, there are going to be big questions over the coming years about how we deal with uh, with uh, future fallouts from uh, from recessions. So there's going to be huge talk about that, particularly this budget. We need to see moves on where the carbon tax is spent and encouraging companies to move away from high carbon activities. We want to see um, a, a shared equity scheme to 
to address housing affordability as we come out of the crisis. Uh, and then on other issues, there's going to be big questions around sustainability for households of their kind of way of life and the quality of life when it comes to things like childcare and elder care, which are growing and big issues for employers. And we've set out a, a, a range of ways of helping people um, who have those caring responsibilities still get back into the workplace and, and work to their fullest potential. Yeah, and I, I, I think that whole question of sustainability and how we interpret that the meaning of sustainability now is so much broader in the context of COVID. And I do think it's something that we'll come back to um, maybe in more detail in a, in a future podcast. Um, maybe just turning to Brexit, um, you know, we've had this huge political volatility, volatility across the water over the last 10 days or so, and it's hugely disruptive. Um, we still don't really we can be positive about you know achieving a deal and um, but we don't really know what's what's ahead of us uh what are the kind of things we're setting out in this campaign around supporting irish business most impacted by brexit and how can we plan for a future which is going to be incredibly disruptive regardless of how how things pan out over the course of the coming months uh, i think this time last year uh, or a little bit earlier in the year last year when we were writing our budget submission for this year, we were saying Brexit is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, economic and political shock for our relations both with uh, with the UK, but our, our trade more generally in lots of sectors of our of our economy and society. And you know, it, the once-in-a-lifetime piece turned out not to be true because COVID came along alongside it. But it doesn't stop making the the shock just as as important and and significant for a lot of those sectors. So no matter what happens, the UK has left the EU. We're going to see this new trading relationship. And at the moment, it looks like even in, in a kind of a positive scenario that we end up with a, a fairly bare bones deal that even if we avoid the tariff problems, we're still going to have significant competitiveness costs because of non-tariff barriers. So extra queuing, more forms and all the rest of that, which are, are just as significant in terms of cost as, as tariffs in some cases. Um, so you're going to need uh, Brexit funds put in place no matter what the case. The government has committed last year to $5 billion in funding between this year and through to 2025, uh, including the money that we might get from import tariffs and the money from EU schemes, and they need to follow through on that. What do they do with it? Uh, three things that we're really looking for. One is that the, the wage subsidy, which has worked so successfully for COVID, be made uh, accessible for companies who are hit badly by Brexit. Uh, the second is that you see um, significant support put in place for people who are trying to uh, promote their exports abroad, um, both directly in terms of grants and in terms of capital support. So if you need a new piece of equipment to, to put in place, or if you need an, a bit of funding for uh, a product re-engineer for a new market, that that support is in place. And, and significantly for many of our sectors, particularly the dairy sector, where you're trying to build new risky markets, export credit insurance, we're one of two countries in Europe without export credit insurance. And it's crucially important that that's put in place before January and as soon as possible, really, so that people can start to build those risky export markets with some state-backed insurance, because at the moment it's very hard to get. It's a it's a shrinking market and it's a, a competitive disadvantage where we're only one of two countries in Europe without it. 
Thanks, Chair. And maybe finally, just to ask both of you to make a contribution on this issue of the labour market, but really specifically on young people who have been, you know, severely impacted with COVID. And what is it um, that IBEC is saying on this issue and how we can support the younger generation to be less impacted and also to have a bright future to look forward to? Yeah, th- thanks, Siobhan. I, th- I think you're absolutely right that um, th- that is the cohort of, of society that has been most impacted by this crisis. Um, and again, I think the, the key for government here is that, you know, we we have some of the, the levers at our disposal. We can we can spend the resources here and we, and we need to allocate the resources. Let them be really targeted uh, in terms of improving the quality of the higher education, uh, improving opportunities through things like our apprenticeship um reskilling initiatives to areas like springboard are going to be incredibly important because you know any of the analysis you do again particularly for those sectors that are that are in that downward swipe of decay uh, it is the younger workers that are going to be worse impacted so we've got to really focus on all of those labor market issues with great urgency and again we learned a lot in the last crisis we know the type of programs that work we know the kind of incentives that will make a difference in terms of encouraging employers to take on new staff and we know how to target some of the training and the upskilling and the labour market interventions so that we can actually prepare people for where the opportunities are because there's actually going to be lots of them but we got to we got to improve that match between the available opportunities and the skill sets we have and particularly to focus on on those younger people around the labour market because they are the ones that are going to be most affected. Sure, and we we all have stories about that. So we we have the money, we have the experience from the past, and we have the agility to deliver it. Now we just need to to kind of have a consensus on it, right? And maybe, Jer, over to you for the last word. What are we asking business to do in terms of this period between now, the launch of the IBEC budget priorities for, um, for Budget Day, and, say, the 13th of October, when the Minister for Finance stands up in the, in the chamber of Leinster House and, and delivers his, his speech? What can business do? So, so we have a little less than a month now to, to Budget Day. So you have this truncated period of um of uh, of budget lobbying and, and and people trying to get their views across what i would say to members and to business more broadly is that nothing is more effective than a local voice being able to explain some of these issues and how they affect people at a local level so we go through our, our regional committees and meet all the tds um, and and local members talk about the budget um, we hear from members across the country about what concerns them and then distill it into this budget submission. And what we really need is members to go back out and to to pitch this locally, to explain to politicians locally um, what matters for them from this budget submission, why it matters, how it affects them and how it can help their local area. And that would would be really, really impactful. And the more people that carry that message, the more weight it will hold. And it makes makes our jobs uh, easier when it comes to when it comes to budget day and hopefully we will see a significant package in the region of six billion that will address a lot of these issues from covid brexit that youth unemployment problem and then those big strategic issues not just the emergency pieces but the big strategic issues that we're going to need to stay competitive in the future ibec the voice of irish business 
And that was Ger Brady, Chief Economist of IBEC there. And he was joined also by Fergal O'Brien, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at IBEC. And Siobhan, this week you also got a chance to catch up with Colin Hunt, who's the CEO of AIB. I did, and I was privileged to have an opportunity to catch up with Colin Hunt. And as I mentioned earlier, he chairs IBEC's Economic and Taxation Committee. But I focused on Colin's role as CEO of one of the largest organisations in Ireland, AIB, uh, dealing with businesses across all sectors and regions, and asked him what kind of trends he is seeing at the moment within business. At AIB, our focus has been on supporting our customers during this unprecedented and severe crisis. Uh, we changed our policies, our, our, our procedures, our products uh, to get much needed payment breaks into the hands of our customers, both retail and business. And that has been our primary focus since March the 12th. But looking at our customer base across the country, uh, I think the trends are, are varied uh, depending on sectors and geography. Obviously, grocery performed very strongly during the lockdown, but as the restrictions have eased, uh, we have, we've seen a strong recovery in sectors such as non-grocery retail, service stations, for instance, as well as, uh, as, as traffic volumes uh, picked up. The hospitality sector and travel remain weak for very obvious reasons, uh, particularly in Dublin. Exports and manufacturing performing well, and it's also, of course, great to see the cranes moving on the skyline uh, once more as the construction industry comes back to life. But overall, the, the economy, I think it's probably fair to say, is tracking marginally ahead of our baseline assumptions. And, 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 and notwithstanding the worrying increase in cases, I think we can be slightly more optimistic at this point uh, than we would have been uh, some months ago. Yeah, and thank you, Colin. And that optimism is extremely important, obviously, even from the perspective of, of confidence um, for consumers that they can continue to go out there and that we make this winter brighter than, than had initially been anticipated. Can I, can I turn for a minute to your role as an employer of, of a very large workforce? How many are you employing now? Um, about nine and a half thousand people are uh, full-time equivalents across the group, yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of people. And I, I'd be interested in um, what your current thinking is around what's happening to the kind of, I suppose, the traditional office setup. Um, and, you know, I suppose what we would have seen originally as a temporary nature of a virtual, of a move to a virtual office is now fast becoming a reality. And how, how do you as an employer manage that? And what's your perspective around future flexibility of the workforce and indeed the importance of things like quality of life issues for your employees? Well, I, I think that we have, uh, over the course of the past 20 years, been moving towards an ever more agile and flexible uh, workforce with more people um, uh, working from home. Uh, COVID has uh, delivered a quantum leap in terms of remote working for very, very uh, good and obvious uh, reasons of, of uh, related, related to health. Uh, we have enabled about 81% of our workforce to work remotely. Uh, those not included in the 81% are people who are working in branches, who are on the front line, um, and of course people who are working in, in, in call centres. I personally believe that we will not go back 
uh, to the way that we worked uh, in February of this year. Uh, we've been surveying our staff. Uh, we've had a very significant response rate to the survey in terms of what they would like to do going forward. And I think the vast majority of employees within AIB Group uh, would like to us to um, have a situation post-COVID uh, where they will continue to be able to work flexibly, be able to work remotely for two or three days a week. And um, that's very much factoring into our future planning uh, around how we consume property and where we actually work uh, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a huge change um, and lots of things that we hoped would happen over the, the coming decade are now now happening straight away and it's it's, it's, it's challenging from an operational yeah, perspective as well. It, it is. You know, I, I frequently remark that you know, had we had 12 months notice of the arrival of COVID on our shores that I think that every business in the country would have used every waking yeah. moment getting ready for it. Uh, and I think that... Uh, all of us in business had a very, very short period of time to adjust to the reality of COVID. And Irish business uh, demonstrated extraordinary agility and resilience uh, as we all had to move to a very different operating environment very quickly and as we all had to adjust to the reality of remote working. Sure. And just when it comes to government and in particular, say, some of the asks around um, budget day, is there anything in particular that government can do to support companies who have obviously migrated their workforce into remote scenarios and who probably won't bring them into, into the office on a full-time basis again? What are the kind of supports that are available to, to continue that kind of virtual office? Uh, well, I think we need to first of all recognise that this is in all likelihood a, a permanent change. Um, I don't think, as I said already, we're going back to how we worked in February of this year. And this is not all negative because it allows our workforce to be more agile, uh, to work the hours to some extent that they choose, to work in the way, to engage with their employers in the way that they choose. And of course, it does also have an environmental benefit because of the fact it's going to lead to a significant reduction in the amount of daily commuting that we all do. And I do believe that there is a potential there for government to uh, uh, encourage and assist that move to remote working uh, through various incentives, both in terms of grants and, and, and taxation measures, taking account of the fact that so much, so many of, 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 of employees across the state are going to be spending more time in a home environment, which is going to have to be adjusting towards a work environment. Sure. And you mentioned the environmental benefits. I know it's something that AIB has been very passionate about and vocal on in in recent years, leading the charge on the sustainability agenda. Um, And it it feels like a real opportunity uh, to activate some of that ambition now. Equally, I I do think that, you know, some of the crisis, that the elements of this crisis do undermine that agenda too. What's, What's your view on it? Look, there is a view out there that um, COVID is so great a challenge that we just need to focus on that and ignore all other uh, um, areas that should deserve our attention. I fundamentally disagree. Uh, I think, as I said said already, COVID has 
significantly accelerated the trend towards uh, towards uh, remote working and agile working. I do believe it's also going to significantly accelerate the digital agenda. We're going to live more of our lives online than we have in the past. But in my view, it actually puts sustainability closer to the very, very centre of the business agenda because COVID exposes the vulnerabilities of the economies and the societies in which we work and live. And if we are genuinely serious about minimising future risks, we need to put sustainability at the core of our missions as business. Uh, that's, you know, we can do it in a way that is uh, um, good for the planet and good for business. And I don't think there is any contra contradiction between those two imperatives. Colin, that insight and perspective is certainly heartening and very much aligns to the repurposing of business generally in recent years, um, particularly around that movement away from shareholder primacy to a much greater commitment to all stakeholders. And as you said, I think there is a huge opportunity um, arising from COVID and lots to be done to try and reimagine our approach to sustainability and what we leave as a legacy from this crisis. So thank you very much for joining me. Very good, Siobhan. Thank you so much indeed. IBEC, the voice of Irish business. A really interesting interview with Colin Hunt of AIB there, Siobhan. And uh, that's all we have time for in this episode, but there is an awful lot of stuff happening over the next days and weeks, no doubt, from an IBEC perspective on this budget, Siobhan. So if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about what we can expect. Sure, and um, we'll be keeping uh, members up to date on that as uh, the campaign develops. I think probably the most important thing for a business to focus on now is to go to our webpage and look at our material. We've developed some nice uh, key messages for business on ibec.ie. Uh, we've also got the full budget submission if you fancy reading, reading that. Um, and in addition to that, we've got some really nice short videos explaining some of the context and some of the specific measures we're looking at. And of course, you can um, get behind us on social media using the hashtag IBECBudget2021. That's great, Siobhan. Thank you very much for uh, taking part again in this episode of IBEC Voices. And of course, earlier, thanks to Colin Hunt, CEO of AIB, and Fergal O'Brien and Ger Brady of IBEC. Siobhan and I will be back very soon with another episode of IBEC Voices. If you like the series so far, please do rate and review it. It helps other people find us. And until the next time, until the next episode of IBEC Voices, take care. <laughs>